Time to talk baseball? I can't wait to talk some baseball. Welcome back to the Baseball STL Podcast. JJ Bailey here with you. Maurice Drummond joins me. Uh, we are recording this as the Cardinals are on the field for the series finale against the Brewers, an early lead. But the big story is Thursday, the Cardinals return home to St. Louis mm-hmm. for the home opener. We'll be there. We've got a big Baseball STL play ball rally happening out there at the uh, Tums lot. It really is a holiday here in St. Louis. It is. It is. I mean, kids... I know there's there's school. I mean, it's not like they're shutting schools down, but what they do is that a lot of the kids are required to wear red. It's the town gets painted red for Cardinals opening day, as it should. As, as it, should. it should. It's the uh, it's the pride of St. Louis, and they're back. And today we receive a little bit of news. Adam Wainwright will indeed take the mound for the home opener. He's on the last year of his contract. This could be the last such occasion that he does that. Um, a lot of fans were a little surprised, though, because the corresponding move was to send Jack Flaherty back to Memphis, and he had just finished uh, what is a, a I don't want to say tremendous outing because he did only go five innings, but a very very strong outing. Yeah. Talking about nine strikeouts nine strike on a outs. Brewers team that can swing it. Yeah, and I think before we before we move forward here, I want to say that they, you know a lot of people seemed. Really upset. You know, you go on Twitter, and I think Twitter's probably a, a bad judge of this because you, the, the angriest folks. Uh, that's, that's where they where, hang that's out. That's where their opinions go. That's their domain. Myself, myself included. <laughs> uh, but, I, but I will say, you know, I think that fans are a bit unfair because what they really – you know, you, you want – Loyalty to your players and people look at the history of the Cardinals and talk about the things that Adam Wainwright has done and, you know, the, the legacy that he's going to have here and the way that he was the face of this team for a long time. And they want organizations to reward players like that beyond just the money. They want to show the loyalty. They want to show the love. And then something like this happens, and Jack Flaherty was, you know, the star of the day in in his outing in Milwaukee, and all of a sudden fans are like, well, this seems like a bad idea. This seems foolish. You know, Jack Flaherty needs to be up here. Okay, fine. Maybe they could have sent somebody else down, but that still means you have to have a place for Jack Flaherty in the rotation, and they broke camp planning to not have a place for him in this rotation, which means they want him to be a starter, so he has to start somewhere. And if he can't start here, he's got to start in Memphis. So a little bit of caution to people who react to that. One, he's not going to a faraway land. He's going to Memphis. He can come back up whenever they need him. Sure. So long as the requisite amount of time has passed. But two, you can't have it both ways. You can't want the Cardinals to honor Wainwright and, and show loyalty beyond the contract and also want everything to work out for a young player when it means sacrificing a guy that you would want to honor. So I, I, I think it's going to be – I think there's a lot of overreaction to this. I think Jack Flaherty will be back. He will pitch meaningful innings. I think Adam Wainwright deserves this start if he can make it. And I think everybody should just take a breath. We're only yeah. we're only going to be six games in here. Sure. And, and look, Adam Wainwright did everything possible. You know, he circled this day. And even when he came up with that hamstring injury, you knew that he was going to try to do everything in his power to get back for this day. I mean, let's face it. This could be – this very well could be his last opening day. And, and let's face it, even though this could be his last year as a Cardinal, let's just say he pitches well. Because remember what he said at the locker room, in the locker room at the end of last year, he said, next year I'm going to pitch for a new deal so I can come back here. Mm-hmm. So let's just say that Adam Wainwright wins 15 games and the Cardinals decide, hey, you know, 
Well, let, let's give let's give you say a two year deal. Mm-hmm. There's no guarantee that he's going to start. He's he probably will not start another opening day, even if he's here with these young guns that they got on the squad. Yeah, I think this is in some this ways, is it. This is a this is a victory lap in a lot of ways, and I don't want you know I know that I don't want to speak in absolutes about the future of, of someone else's career. But I will say that if you view it through this lens, yeah, you can make the case that this is a, a victory lap from Adam, for Adam Wainwright with an uncertain future, uncertain contract status. Maybe maybe he can, and the team cannot find a deal and he goes play somewhere else. Maybe he retires. Who knows? But we, what we do know is if he's healthy, he's going to fight and claw and the team is going to do everything in their power to give him this start Absolutely. because that is what he has earned for what he's done for this team throughout his career. And so – Jack Flaherty, yeah, he took the short end of the stick on this one. He has to go back down to Memphis, and I, he was understandably a little bit terse when asked about it. It sounds like, uh, you know, Rick Hummel said that when he asked him, Flaherty said, I, I have nothing to say. And that's fair, too. He's 22 years old. He feels like he's, he's done what he needs to do to, to earn his spot on the major league team, but the team's plans don't include that right now. And I think that's – both those things can be true, and I think it's okay. Well, he's got a pretty good taste of, of, uh, of the big leagues with the way he pitched um, against, uh, against the Brewers the other night. Um, you know, he came up last year, and, you know, quite frankly, J.J., when you look at uh, Flaherty, big difference from when he came up oh, last year. Yeah. I mean, we heard so much about him, but when he got here, it looked like he was a little bit out of gas. Yeah, I mean, he, he did – rocket up through the system in one year. I mean, that does a lot of jumps to make in one year. And to, to have the majors at the end of that, yeah. um, you know, when your legs might be a little bit tired, when yeah. your arm might be a little bit sore, you know, that, that's a lot to ask. And I think what we saw this year was all of the proof for why the Cardinals believed so wholeheartedly that Flaherty was going to be a long-term yeah. rotation piece. Physically, he looked more like a grown man. I feel like he grew like four <laughs> inches. Yeah, and in his body is stronger. And, but, you know, but it's a good way to say that, you know, he's grown is because, yeah, he came and got a taste. So he knew what he had to, you know, how to prepare in the offseason. He came back stronger mentally and physically. Well, and speaking of guys who uh, maybe chafed a little bit at being sent down, biggest waves of the baseball season, I'd argue, were made when Sports Illustrated's piece about <laughs> Tommy Pham came out and – Tommy Pham, who is notoriously candid, was more so in that piece than I think any athlete has been in some time, certainly in the, in the modern day of sports where they speak more in platitudes and truisms and corporate speak. Tommy Pham really isn't wired that way, and he was as straightforward as anybody could possibly be about <laughs> how he felt about being passed over for promotion, how he felt about being demoted, uh, how he felt about people who said, you know, we believed in you all along. Uh, I think, for me, that was a really refreshing. I know that the Cardinals and I know the teams across many sports would not prefer their athletes to speak that openly. <laughs> but I think what that does is demonstrate something that gets lost a lot in sports coverage, that these are not just jerseys with numbers on them. They are not stat lines. These, mm-hmm. they, there, are, there are men and women that play this game, yeah. and they get reduced to units on a spreadsheet, and they're not. And I think this interviews like that are a welcome reminder that there are personalities at play here, and there are hopes, and there are dreams, and there are emotions that cannot just be explained away by stats. Yeah, and also I think we look at it this way too. When, when people look at the St. Louis Cardinals, 
Um, for those who are maybe slightly cynical, you know, who aren't looking through uh, red glasses, maybe from across certain bowels, they'll say, oh, look at the Cardinals, always buttoned up, uh, you yeah. know, very much uh, maybe slightly highbrow. Starch shirts. Yeah. Exactly. And so now you have a guy who's cutting loose. But the thing to me about that piece, and anyone who's got a chance to see Tommy Pham be around this guy, he's not a loose cannon in the way that you would think. This guy, no. he speaks from his heart. And it's – and. and He's these, talking the truth. Yeah, these are not remarks that kind of flew out of his mouth. If, you know, speaking to Tommy Pham, it's, it's very, very clear that he takes the time to choose his words precisely. And his emotions are, are true, and they might, they might be a little bit raw, but he never says – he's never out of control when he's talking. No. He's, and he will pause to make sure he phrases things the exact way he wants to. This was – like you said, this was not a loose cannon – you know, this is not Chris Sale losing his mind and chopping up a bunch of jerseys. <laughs> right. This this was a guy that said, I feel this way, and I am not going to pretend I don't. Yeah. And he, when he speaks, he's always very measured. Now, when you see it in print, and obviously there was some, some colorful language mm-hmm. uh, within that piece, um, but Tommy Pham, I mean, he's giving you basically timelines. He's saying, yeah, and I told Mike Matheny that when I leave here – I mean, he's, he's yeah. giving you basically a, essentially a timeline of, of what happened, who he spoke to, how he said it to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and let's face it, when he says, look, I was playing better down at AAA when Piscotti, he said mm-hmm. Dex. I mean, yeah. we were just watching the game just a little bit ago. He, he came over to uh, catch a fly ball for the Dex. Yeah. And he's in that locker room with these guys. And he's saying, yeah, here's Dexter Fowler, a guy came over from the Cubs. Won the World Series. Yeah, I was playing better than Dexter Fowler too. Yeah, and he's right. Yeah, and that, I think that's Scotty Gritchick, all those guys, all the Golden Boys. And there is something. There, there's a point to be made that sometimes speaking, speaking truth and speaking from your heart could chafe the people around you because you do still share a locker room with them, and you are on record saying I was playing better than you. And Tommy Fan, it, it wasn't that he didn't think about it. It wasn't that he didn't care about it. It's that Tommy Pham knew that if he said, you know, I was playing better than J.J., and I walked up to him and said, what is this stuff about you saying you're playing better than me? And he would sit me down, and Tommy Pham will have the numbers ready for you and (laughs) say, look at this. Tell me I wasn't. Like, that's the thing is he wasn't just firing shots at teammates that he didn't like. He was stating truth. He He was stating, look, I was playing better. I have the numbers to show I was playing better. And I, did, I wasn't getting my chance, and when I got my chance, look at what I did with it. Yeah. So tell me I was wrong to feel that way. Yeah. I know that you might not like hearing it. I might, it might hurt some feelings. It might ruffle some feathers. It might upset the front office. But in, in Tommy Pham's mind, and I tend to agree with him on almost every point, what he was saying wasn't wrong. It wasn't incorrect. And he doesn't believe there's any reason he has to sugarcoat anything yeah. because nothing was ever sugarcoated for him. And the bottom line is this, too. It always comes down to the Benjamins. And Tommy Pham is saying, you know what? This team has cost me millions of dollars. Mm -hmm. And now let's go on on the Cardinals end now. You know, to be fair, let's look at the team. There was a couple seasons where he had season-ending injuries. Mm -hmm. Um, He had the eye issue. Mm -hmm. Um, There was also the year, uh, was it 16, where, you know, that cold day in in Pittsburgh, you know, he had the oblique when he was up here. Um, He's had a history – of injury problems. Um, anyone who's got a chance to see Tommy Pham, the guy is 
I mean, he, he is, his, his muscles are tight. I mean, this guy is just wound like a Super Bowl. And he always had suffered a number of, you know, tissue, you know, soft yeah. tissue injuries. Um, but that being said, he's going to tell you, um, this team has cost me some money. I tried to get my way out of the organization. I asked to go to Japan, let me go. They wouldn't let him go. Um, so, look. And, and they were, it's clear in the way that they hung on to Tommy Pham that the, they, the team clearly saw the talent. They, they, in a sense, they did believe in him because if really, you know, with the laundry list of injuries he went through, if they didn't really think there was something there, they would have found a way to move him. They would have let him go to Japan. They didn't. They hung on to him. So they didn't lie when they said, we, we believed you could do this. They weren't just pulling his chain. But what he was saying is, if you believed it, why did it take so long for me to be able to prove it? Because if you really believed I was this good, how come when I was healthy, I wasn't the first call you made? Mm-hmm. How come there were a lot, there's a big line ahead of me. And when those guys underperformed, where was my call then? So the, He's fighting bonus babies, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And, and, and I think you're right. There's, the Cardinals were justified in, in their approach in some ways. And Tommy Pham is right that, you know, you don't get to tell me you believed in me, but I had to force my shot at the end of my 20s. And before you even gave me that, Matt Adams was starting games in left field. That's right. I, that can't he can't reconcile those two things, and I I completely understand. And like you said, when you're watching your earning power get drained out as your 20s tick by, resentment builds, and you're allowed to carry some of that with you. Generally, you don't air it, but I'm I, I don't think he was out of line airing no. it. I know there's certain guys who wouldn't approach it that way, but he's always said everyone's been straight with me. And then, you know, he talked to his childhood. He goes, you know, life didn't sugarcoat anything for me. Oh, yeah. This is how I operate. If you don't like how I operate, I, I'm, I'm sorry if I hurt your feelings, but I don't really care. Yeah. And at the end of the day, let's face it, it always comes down to talent. Yeah. You know, I mean, how— Well, and, and don't you want a guy a little—you need some of that element on a team. You need, you know, when, you know, John Lackey was called the rusty nail when he came in, and there, you know, Chris Carpenter had that— that bluster to him, and there are there are a number of stories of guys standing up in a locker room and putting you know putting somebody in their place when they need to. Tommy Pham is one of those stories, but you need an attitude like this because if the game's on the line, who else do you want but Tommy Pham to to have your last breath? I mean, what he's showing here is none of this is pretend. This is how I am through and through, and it makes me a better baseball player. So. I'm either going to keep being this and I'm going to be a good baseball player for you, or if you don't like it, get rid of me. Because he clearly is not trying to make any lifelong friends with the front office. And what did he do, you know, after with the spotlight shining on him? Yeah. The guy goes out and dominates that baseball game. Obviously, uh, they didn't beat the Brewers, but you're talking about a guy who has five tools. Yeah. Oh, and it, that's and they're all shot tools too. Yeah, absolutely. And they and they should have beat the Brewers. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll move on here in a second. They should have beat the Brewers. But that's what I found very interesting is the day everybody's talking about Tommy Pham and the day that his comments called every spotlight in the country and pointed them right at him. He responded with yeah. elite level baseball play. Rosie occasion, which is which it was almost like he was defending a thesis, <laughs> and. I, I really enjoy it, and, you know, I, I don't know if it's uh, something that a lot of organizations would encourage, but I would hope 
this opens the door for a little bit more genuine comments from guys. There are a lot of guys who have a practice script, and that's just what they want to do, and they talk to media a lot, and so it makes it easier. But it really opens up the sport when an athlete can connect its, his human side, her human side, to the player on the field or right. on the court. Right. And I think that really adds something for fans and, and really for media's ability to tell better stories, to, to actually connect with the people behind it. But Agreed. Before we get too carried away on Tommy Pham, and we could talk about Tommy Pham all day, uh, let's look at this team that's coming back to St. Louis. Now, the, the, the game right now against Milwaukee, that outcome is to be determined. It looks good. Uh, but it looked good last night. They're, you know, they're two and three as of we as of as of right as of right now. Right now, is this what you expected out of this team to start the season, or is it worse or better? What are you seeing now from this team that either surprises you or confirms something you already thought? I'm not going to say that. I'm going to I'm going to I want to put something in perspective for for Cardinal fans here. Um, I got two words for you: Syndergaard. And Degrom, yeah, you've got two monster, big old, powerful arms, and they're going to be striking people out all year. Yeah. So I'm not going to sit here and and say that you know the Cardinals, um, you know, were necessarily asleep in New York, um, going up against those guys up in the cold. Man, that's not going to be easy. Um, I like what I see more in the Milwaukee series. I, I like what I see in the way that line can move at the top of the order. Yeah. You know, and, and you're seeing it now now that Fowler Fowler's kind of his bat has arrived a little bit. You know, they again tonight Yes. They, they're they're on you immediately. Right. And, and and the thing about Fowler too, and I don't know if we talked about this in the last episode, but let's go back a little bit to last year with the Chicago Cubs, who were basically essentially sleepwalking after a monster postseason. Mm-hmm. They you know, they they were uh they were, they, you know, they had hangover. I think Dexter Fowler did too. Yeah. You know, I think it's possible. it was yeah. a long, hard off season where they made, you're talking about the word victory lap, victory yeah. laps for days. I think he was out of gas. You know, he can't, you know, he immediately signed a big contract, came here with expectations and, you know, he came to a Cardinal team that, you know, that struggled yeah. trying to, trying to get back to the postseason. I think he, he looks fresher to me. Yeah, I think so. And I think the way the lineup took shape over over last year and into this spring and now into the season, there's less on Dexter Fowler as the pure catalyst for this team. He doesn't have to solve as many problems. I think when you see this top of the lineup, I and mean, we saw it you know, again today coming out of the gate, the 1-2, both of them doing damage right away. You know, Yesterday they led off with – back-to-back homers. Yeah. You, you essentially know. have – you almost have three leadoff guys. Yeah. And I think – With with he, C- Carpenter, and Fam. I think the lineup, as far as what we're seeing now, is about as expected. You see, you know, Marcelo Zuna hit one to the moon. Monster. Um, they struggled a little bit, but I'm with you. You know, you want to come out, open the season against a guy who can throw 100 miles an hour all game long, and you're going to have some trouble. Uh, I think the hitting's coming around, but I think I, I don't think this is going to be a, a New York Yankee style lineup. But I, you're seeing a lot of the pieces do the things they were expected to do. Um, so this is about what I expected from this offense. They're not having a ton of trouble getting guys on and scoring. They're just they you know last last night's game was an absolute soul crusher to yeah. open the game that way to lead the whole way and then to get walked off on back to back home runs. 
um, that'll suck the wind out of anybody. But they responded, you know, the next game by getting offense immediately. Right. Which and going is, th- and going first to third. Yes. You've got good speed up there. Now. Yeah. They're they're pestering. They're forcing conflict on the bases, which this is what you wanted to see this team do if you're a Cardinal fan. And I think. I think the offense is a little slower than people would like, you know, getting started. But it's it's clearly, no, it's 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 news for Steve Savard. Look at that, <laughs> checking us out doing the podcast. He is he is so big. <laughs> it's like it's like a Mack truck looking at you. Uh, offensive offensively, I think they're doing f- about what you what you want them to do. I think. Defensively, there's been some hiccups, but overall, they look improved. Pitching-wise, the bullpen. Last time we talked, the bullpen. Oh, the I, I had a lot of. I had a lot of theories. Here we go. I had a lot of theories on how the Cardinals were approaching the bullpen, and I was even praising them for an unconventional approach. And it turns out I just wasn't patient enough. They went out and got Greg Holland, and now they have a traditional closer. And it's not its not that he's a bad sign. His numbers are fine. You know, he had a little bit of a down year, but he's, he's, a, he's a good guy to have at the end of games. But it means that we're going back to a more traditional, a more, uh, you know, paint-by-numbers style approach. And the bullpen had looked okay until last night. And this is one where, you know, Matheny was dinged. And, and the more I looked at it, the more it's hard to, it's hard to criticize him for closing the game the way he did, he leaned on Lyons and Leon, two of his most reliable guys. Leon was stretched for a five-out save, but he had done that a few times already last season. This wasn't an, an impossible ask. Uh, things just kind of turned on them there at the end. And I'm interested what you – do you see them sorting out more traditional roles now that they have a – a closer who's going to be written in ink and now they're going to stack backwards? Or do you still think this is going to be a mix and match? Mm, I don't think the the manager feels comfortable with uh, something that's unconventional. I think he wants it to be as conventional as possible. And convention on this team means you're going to see about how many games out of 162? You're going to to see about 158 games of Matt Bowman. (laughs) He's already thrown in (laughs) three games. Yeah. He's thrown in three games. As as the day started, they had played five. He had thrown in three of them. He'd already thrown almost three innings of relief. Man's gonna be bringing his arm to the park in a in a in a suitcase. Well, and this is I'm not the only person to point this out, but you can just look at his average velocity, and it is going down. And he's got Seth Manus disease coming. It has been going down steadily since he was he was called up. And again, this is not an original point to be making, but it is something that I think that. It needs to be made as often as possible. Not counting how many times a guy gets up. Yeah, and this is this is, and you're seeing it. You're seeing his his velocity dip. You're seeing his effectiveness dip. You're seeing a lot less ground balls across the whole pitching staff, and that's and that's something that's of concern because the Cardinals always pitched to bad contact when they had success. And Seven, more, Kevin Segrist. More and more, you're seeing a lot of balls hit in the air. You're hitting. You're seeing a lot of velocity dips. You're seeing uh, that that final run there that the Brewers went on. They were hammering the ball, not just the home runs. Balls oh, yeah. put in play are being hammered. Absolutely. And Mike Maddox has already said that he wants to work the elevated fastball a little bit more. That's one of his calling cards. I'm not entirely sure that this staff is particularly built for that. You know, this was this was an effective staff when it was ground balls, bad contact. I think trying to beat people up, especially in this era of hitters trying to launch balls, is a 
dangerous thing. And when you're leaning on guys like Matt Bowman, who are losing velocity, it becomes even more dangerous. And it's not Matt Bowman's fault. He pitched well and has been a victim of his own success and has been used, like you said, what feels like 90% of the games. And I think there's going to have to be a, a shift in his usage or else I don't know how he's going to comb his hair in the morning. Yeah, well, and, and not to mention just in terms of bullpen usage as well. You know, I just want to see um, – I'm not going to say necessarily, you know, more of a variety, but I, I do know that he leans on certain guys at certain points. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, he's not there anymore right now. He's on DL, but you know, Brett Cecil. You know, he was mm-hmm. another guy. He was you the know, second most used. Second most used, and and so you also have to look too. You know, people want to say, okay, maybe you know, Mike Matheny kind of gets into the paint by numbers. You know, sometimes you you still got some arms sitting out there. I mean, you know. Tui's still sitting there. Um, you know, now you used uh, Jordan Hicks uh, for, mm-hmm. for four outs. Uh, the other, so he was basically unavailable. But, you know, I think that yeah, I, would, I want to see more arms. Um, and I want to see these guys, you know, I, I, want, I do want to see more mix and matching. I, w- I would like to see it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I look at a guy like, uh, like Greg Holland, and you talked about the numbers – uh, he really had about three bad weeks when you yeah. look at it, and, and he had a he had a bad finger or had a cut on his finger, what have you. But the guy had he had some dominant stuff, uh, you know, tied for the lead, league lead in saves. And some people may you know have their own ideas about what the save category means or what's a good save, what's a bad save. But uh, the guy has 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 closed postseason games. Yeah, no, he's he's certainly a I he's legit, a, and he'd be an elite level closer. Yeah, that would I mean that's if you're gonna factor if you're gonna categorize pitchers into that, he's one of the best. Yeah, he's he's legit, and so I think when you get him in there, now you've got your horse at the back end. Uh, conventionally, you think that okay, now everyone is supposed to now fall back a spot. So that means maybe do you see Tyler Lyons? Um, in you know in or the is, seventh or, or eighth Leon, or Leon your eighth inning guy yeah you know Jordan Hicks to me if you go back to uh, the Yankees of the uh, early two thousands the dynasty the five mm-hmm. championship team he reminds me of and I'm not trying to put a Hall of Fame label on Jordan Hicks now don't get me wrong here but the way they used Mariona Rivera to set up John Wetland okay yeah, yeah. you know whereas the hot shot arm with that nasty pitch who came in spots. And with set up wetland, I see Hicks yeah. kind of been that, you know, you spot him, you bring him in to just knock the bat out of somebody's hand, and now, and not to mention, remember, wetland moves on, Mariona takes over. Yeah. We may see the same thing with, with Holland and Hicks. Yeah, you could see that. And, and if that's where the Cardinals think he fits best, too, I mean, I don't know if you want to make, sh- you know, box him in as a reliever because you're basically if you if that's your plan you know starting goes out the window but that kind of talent and that kind of run uh as a back-end guy I mean no one's going to lament that Mariano Rivera didn't get a chance to start you know he was if you have that kind of guy who makes the game eight innings long just by his presence that's fine and guys like that get paid not quite as well as starters but they get paid so I'm sure that you know you don't complain necessarily if you become that but it might be a little early to decide his future role but he certainly offers you something that if properly leveraged and that's an if Mm -hmm. right now as we've seen if properly leveraged 
is a difference maker in this division race. Oh, yeah. You know, the, he solves you, – you want to solve problems that you can point to wins. You know, we, were t- we talked a lot about last season, 17 and a half games, right? Here's what the Cardinals did. Did that close a 17-game gap? This year, maybe that gap isn't quite as big. But, okay, what are the guys that close the gap between them and the Cubs when you look at games won because of these guys' presence? Is Hicks one of those guys? Alex Reyes, is he one of those guys? Mm-hmm. Marcelo Zuna is probably one of those guys. Tommy Pham, if he plays like that, is one of those guys. And so Jordan Hicks' value in that way is if he can – because he's there to set up in the eighth, or because you know when somebody's beat up, he can close the ninth. If he can do that four or five times and change an outcome, you're getting ever closer to the the division leaders. Maybe listen, maybe it's the seventh. But what I want to see Mike Matheny do is I want to see him identify when this game can be won or lost. It may not. You may be playing for a save in the eighth that you can't get to unless you yeah. get this guy in the seventh. Yeah, and that to me is what's frustrating about watching the Cardinal bullpen and the way Mike Matheny may manage that bullpen is you got to be able to say, you know what, we got two on. It's the seventh. Yeah. This is I'm the, going to deploy this is Jordan the Hicks. Moment. This, yeah. this is it. I will deploy Jordan Hicks to keep this a tie game because if I bring in Brett Cecil just because I'm Peyton by the numbers and he's supposed to be my seventh inning guy, I'm going to lose the game. Now I'm down by one or two runs. Why not deploy, I use that word, yeah. a Hicks, who is a weapon? That, to me, is what I want to see in this Cardinal bullpen. I want to see the ability to find times when that game can be saved earlier than the 8th or ninth. Yeah, I think that's a good point. That, is, that, is the, that has been the issue, right, with bullpen management under this regime, is that too much has been placed on, well, this is the way it's done, and... Instead of looking at where you're at yeah. in that contest. Yeah, that if you if you give up the two runs here, it does not matter. It does not matter who you have in the bullpen because you can't use them anymore. No, I, I, I'm with you on that. And I think that's, again, you know, I talk about how interesting the bullpen is going to be. It's a little less interesting now, not in a bad way, uh, but it's a little less intriguing to see how they're going to manage it once they, have, they now have a ninth inning guy. But that's largely going to define the season is how many of these games do you give away because you have improper personnel in critical situations? Yeah, you can have all the 100-plus mile-an-hour arms that you want. Mm -hmm. But if you're going to sit there and keep all these guys bunched up and I'm not going to open this box until the eighth inning, man, you're letting games get away. And you know what? You may get that guy in a spot that you want, and he he may have an off night. He may give up the meat. And now you're like, whoa, what happened here? Yeah. So I just think that they have to uh, – You just have to have the conviction to go back to them if the situation arises tomorrow or the next night. You can't look at, you can't look at an outcome and say, see, I, I knew I shouldn't have used them there. Exactly. you got you got to have the conviction to keep trying. Uh, before we wrap this up and before the Cardinals come home, a couple things that I thought were kind of interesting – just baseball, general baseball related. Uh, how about the Pirates? Pirates were essentially dead in the water. Mm-hmm. They were saying basically, you know, like, all right, it's it's tank time, it's rebuild time, selling off the farm. They started four and zero. How about that? This division continues. Rock Lance Lynn. Yeah, <laughs> this, this 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 division continues to confound and impress because you know the Brewers clearly are ready are ready to 
to compete. I don't know if they have the horses, but they're ready to compete. The Cardinals did what they did. They they look like they think they can compete. The Cubs yeah. are still the powerhouse, and the Brewer or the Pirates, who were supposed to just be carrying for the Vultures the free wins, <laughs> they come out they come out looking like the best team in the division. What are you gonna? It's you, you never know what you're gonna see, but and, and obviously there's a long way to go. I think that everyone probably feels like the Reds and the Pirates are going to be the bottom feeders for the, you know, maybe how many times can you beat up on the Reds and Pirates between, yeah. you know, the, the uh, you know, between the, the Cubs and the, and the Brewers and the Cardinals. Uh, you better be careful because uh, maybe these guys aren't going to be as yeah. bad as we think. It's early, but they could certainly throw a thorn into, into somebody's plans if, sure. you know, if they're hot in the second half or something. They could define a wild card spot for one of these other teams. Absolutely. I know this is not uh, in our purview because it's it's way out west and in the other league. But how about have you have you watched any of Otani? Have you seen he took Kluber yard today? He's got two bombs already. He's got and you know and here's a guy who, when scouts were looking at him during spring training, they were basically comparing his swing, the equivalent of, you know, like maybe uh, an A ball. Maybe upper high school yeah. swing. Yeah, and they were saying, you know, his 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 pitching was not ready. You know, oh, he, oh yeah, there were guys on NMLB Network. You know, I know, uh, you know, Ron Darling and uh, John Smoltz. They were saying, look, we would start him in the minors, take some heat off of, him. and I can see what they were saying. He was struggling. Yeah. Um, but it seems like this he's young not, man. He's now had one. He's had he's had a good, a solid outing, not a great outing, but a solid outing. Yeah. He's hitting. Fine. He's yeah. got two bombs, and one of them was off Corey Kluber. Yeah, and he gave up a bomb in his initial start against the A's, got off to a slow start, and then he retired 14 out of 15. Yeah. I mean, this is – I'm. there was a lot of hype, and I was kind of, you know, eh, he's out in L.A., he's on the Angels, people are going to forget. This is actually this is actually one of the most fun things to – he's almost appointment viewing. If he's up, you got to, you know, you got to throw it on MLB TV. Why not? You know, he's, and, you know, I think there's a lot of times, you know, when you see a guy, you know, come over and, and you know there's a lot on him. I mean, he's probably, I think he has, you know, probably close to 15, uh, 15 reporters around him just from just Asia. follow him. Yeah. Oh, I mean, Sung Wan Oh had about five or six that at every game they were, they were just there to report mm-hmm. on him. If he didn't throw, it didn't matter. Yeah. I mean, that's, you have Los Angeles media and national media and, your own nation's media that's only job is to follow you every single moment they can find you. I mean, that's a lot of pressure, especially yeah. for especially for a guy that is going to be asked to do two different things and who has expressly said, oh, I can do this at the major league level. Oh, There's yeah. going to be a lot of people looking to, to knock him down. And so far, he's raking. He's and he's tough to knock down, yeah. And, and he's going to be a guy, like you say, he's almost appointment television. I'll tell you who is appointment television right now if you're a baseball fan. Bryce Harper. Future Cardinal Bryce Harper. <laughs> no, no, oh, no, yeah. no, no, no. They're put. They're put away. They're they're their savings account. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> s- saving up for for Bryce for next year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Every penny I, and every cushion. Sure, uh, sure. The four hundred million dollar man, Bryce Harper. Boy, think about a campaign for your own future contract to mm. start the year. Four bombs, seven walks, seventeen hundred OPS. Yeah. No strikeouts. Now, I know that it's early, and I know that you can get carried away with a small beginning of a season, but if anybody was wondering if he was going to play up for that contract, I think that question has been answered. Oh, yeah. But you know what I love about watching him? And I think that 
from the time that he was on the cover of Sports Illustrated as a high school kid and, you know, saw the, the guys who were trying to uh, – Trying to teach him a lesson when he came in the league about oh, yeah. you know you're you know you got to teach that kid a lesson. You know, listen, this guy is is so magnificent in the way he plays the game. Yeah. He hustles his butt off. Uh, he hustles his butt off, and there isn't anything on the field that the guy can't do. Um, so when I see him, he's probably I, I don't think he's going to be one of those guys that's going to be sitting out uh, mm. for an entire off season. Mm-mm. Someone's going to. Whoever was sitting back trying to hold onto their chips, they're going to be in on, on, on Bryce Harper. Oh, he's a, yeah, and he, is, he can seismically change either league by where he goes. That's what's – he's one of the few guys in baseball. Like Scherzer was this when the Nationals got him. It was wherever this guy lands, they are a contender now. Right. You know, even if, even if there's still a few pieces away, they're in the conversation. Yeah. And he's going to seismically change – the outlook of divisions and leagues and also sports contracts probably for the next 10 years because this it's a fascinating time to see him come up for free agency after the free agency period we just had where everyone was clutching their their shekels so close yeah. you know guys getting 12 million that should be getting 30 guys getting 2 million dollar deals when they were expected to be getting 25 30 40 million dollar deals for him to come up, we'll see how long that conviction amongst the owners holds on not overpaying because he's going to want every dime. And is he a Boris cont- uh, He's Boris. Yeah. And the one thing that you cannot say <laughs> is that Scott Boris is bad at his job because all of this, you know, penny pinching went on and Eric Hosmer's out here getting eight-year deals. Yeah. hundred was $140 million. I mean, he had two Scott, Scott 120. One. Yeah. I mean, Hosmer had two one hundred at least two deals of at least one hundred twenty million sitting on the table for him. It's interesting how and, and he he sat it out and oh he yeah. got more. I, I know it. It, it. it actually kind of really uh, it was fascinating how guys on the other end weren't even getting their one year tender offers. Mm-hmm. They weren't even getting that money. Lance Lynn didn't get his uh, the amount he was going to get from a, a one year tender from the Cardinals. No, he didn't. No, he's like a five million dollar haircut. <laughs> so we see a few of those. Yeah, it's 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 going to be fascinating, and, and it's going to be fascinating to kind of watch baseball this year because you got a lot of monster, monster talent uh, approaching free agency. You got a couple guys like Kershaw who can opt out. You've got a lot of new incoming. Manny Machado. Talent. Yeah, M- Machado's a, a big one. You know, Harper's a big one. I think Andrew Miller will be up. There's going to be a lot of names that are that are going to be playing for big deals. Yeah. Kershaw and, could opt out. Yeah, he can opt out. Yeah. He can opt out. And then you, you, you piece that together with what the Yankees are doing with Stanton, although he did get booed after the uh, platinum sombrero the other day. <laughs> oh, they're brutal. But uh, Otani out west. And this is going to be a fun year for baseball, and especially even in, even in you know our own division here, to wrap this up with the Cardinals. There's, a, there's enough storylines on the Cardinals alone to keep you entertained. You know, can fam repeat? Uh, can this bullpen actually piece together enough starts? What is Adam Wainwright's last year in a Cardinal uniform possibly? What does that look like? And will uh, Marcel Ozuna become an MVP candidate? Yeah, will he knock a satellite out of orbit? Because holy moly did he hit Th- that. This guy has got a swing. Christmas. And now once he gets a, a good little taste of, of the Cardinal red and that big old group hug that he's yeah. going to get from, from the 45,000 fans at, at Bush, uh, could be a perfect marriage. Yeah, could be. Well, we'll see. The uh, the Cardinal faithful get their first in-person look. 
Thursday. Also, if you're out and about and you're going to the game, stop by the Play Ball uh, Baseball STL Rally. Yeah, signing autographs, music, fun. Yeah. Big party. You're going to be signing autographs, Mom? You're be over there in the stadium with me. I hope to. I know that uh, I'll be uh, doing newscast over at the stadium from 4 on, um, but I'm going to try to get over there and, and meet some fans and shake some hands. I hope I see all of you out there. Well, for this episode, I'm J.J. Bailey. You can find me on Twitter at the J.J. Bailey. Maurice Drummond came with be sports director on Twitter at Maurice Drummond. Thank you for listening. Be nice to each other, and we'll see you guys tomorrow. See you.